Good, nothing's changed in the meantime. I think that several of you think that I'm going to make a joke about something that I'm not going to make a joke about. Because we play today, and I don't want to mess that up. We'll see, I might end up. Uh, so, so there was a pastor who was also an avid golfer. And every chance he could get, he would be out on the links, just hitting the ball, playing 18, playing 36, however many he could get in. And there was, he hadn't been able to play for a couple weeks because of weather. And then one Sunday morning, it just brightened up and it was perfect weather. And he's like, man, I've got church today. There's no way I can do this, but I haven't played in for so long. I, I need to get better. I need to practice. I need to, all these justifications we make. And so, you know, he called in sick and he went in. This isn't about anybody specific. And he went in uh, to the golf course and was playing. And an angel was kind of watching and goes to God and is like, hey, are you going to let this stand? Like, how, what is happening? He's putting golf over church, like literally over you. And God just kind of nodded and watched. And on the very first hole, the pastor hits the best shot of his life, hole in one. And the angel's like, what? And he's like, God is like, who's he going to tell? And so there you go. There you go. Okay. So we are continuing the perspective series today. And this series, as you know, we are challenging you to listen to another message during the week, to listen to each of our perspectives on what we're talking about. And we're also looking at the perspective of different people involved in the story of Christ as he goes to the cross. And this week we are on Mary, uh, Mary, his mother, Mary, who, who loved him so much that from the beginning, she was the first person to truly see who he is. The first person to truly follow him because he was a gift to her. And also she was called to go through this. And so we're going to talk about her. We're going to talk about what she dealt with. And so I want to read. I want to start with John 19, 25 through 27. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here's your son. And he said to, the, to his disciple, uh, Here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. It is unimaginable the suffering that Jesus was going through. We saw the song uh, that we will never know the, the cost of our sin essentially on the cross. It's unimaginable what that felt like for him to be nailed to a cross and to be beaten. But more than that, to, to have people throw insults, to throw just anger at him for doing nothing wrong. But a different type of suffering is seeing someone you love go through something hard, seeing them suffer, seeing them hurt. And so Mary, it's also unimaginable to know what she is feeling in this moment. She's at the cross. She knows he's the Savior. Now, she's known from basically the beginning that he was going to be sacrificed. Simeon, the prophet, told her uh, that a sword would pierce her very soul because of him. And so she knew something was coming, but still... To see it happen, to, to feel it happen. Again, not just to see him dying for them, but to see the crown of thorns mocking him, to see the sign making fun of him, to see the people, to hear their voices, to hear their, their, their mocking screams, to, to just hear everything that happened along the way, to see the other disciples run away. It had to be so just agonizing in so many ways. 
to see it like this, to live it like this, to feel it like this, to know that it was going to happen, but then to, to actually live through it. It's impossible to imagine. I'm not a mother, I'll never be a mother. But I know that there's a special bond between a mother and a child. And, and Amber was actually just talking to me last night, my sister. I have a niece. And so um, Beatrice, like, hide-and-seek accident, and she hurt her finger. And Amber was just in tears almost more than Beatrice. And so I know that it, 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 a lot of you could, could match this and talk about this because they, the mothers feel it so much. And Mary had to feel this so much. And Jesus looks at her knowing this. And this had to be a bittersweet moment for her too. And he says, woman, here is your son. Now, I think now in our culture, in our day, in the way we talk, it's like, woman, what's he doing? Well, for one, had he said mom or mother, that would have just been almost too much to call out to her like that. And woman was actually a term of respect. Woman, man, that's how they, they would talk to each other back then. And so he's just calling her. And there's a bunch of meanings to this, a couple meanings to this. Number one, this is kind of like saying, looking at her and saying, look at me. Look at me, it's okay. Which is crazy that he's comforting her. But it shows his love for her. It shows his hope for her to feel better. It shows that he cares about her even now. And also, also to know, hey, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And he tells her that by then telling John to, to take care of her. By telling John that, that this is his mother now. I have a friend who is an atheist. And his entire argument for it is that if there is a God, why do people suffer? Why do good people suffer? And I don't want to... It's kind, okay, so I don't want to make fun of him. It's kind of a childish argument. And that, that's not about him. It's just the way that, that he looks at things. But I think at times we all kind of have that thought go through our head. Now, most of the time we'll look at this moment. And we'll look at Jesus on the cross and be like, well, how could I not suffer? Look at how much he suffered, how much more he suffered for doing nothing. Because for whatever our lives have been, however strong a Christian we are, however long we've been in the church, none of us are sinless. However, Jesus, perfect, sinless, holy, always did the right thing, always helped people, always loved and still has suffered. And then we look at Mary, who, while not perfect, gave up her entire life, went through a lifetime of being made fun of, of being mocked, of being left out, and then watched her son die on the cross, watched her Savior die on the cross. So as Christians, we know this, and we're like, well, I don't like to suffer, but I can't really question it too much because he's not asking us to do anything that, that he hasn't done himself. But still... Still, sometimes we look at something or we feel something or inflation happens. Or gas prices go to like $7 a gallon. They're not there yet, but we'll see. And we say, why me? Why me? Why does this happen to me? Why does this happen? What have I done? It's not fair. But here's the thing. That's not the question we should be asking. I'm going to go to C.S. Lewis. Shocking. The real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. Instead of asking, why me? 
when we're suffering. Maybe ask why me when we're thriving, when we're doing well. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't allow good things to happen to us. It's not to say we shouldn't rejoice when things are going well. It's not to say that if we get a promotion or we get a raise or something awesome happens or a number 16 seed beats a number one seed that we shouldn't rejoice. I couldn't stop. (laughs) That we shouldn't rejoice. But that we should remember as much as I feel I don't deserve suffering, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve these blessings. I don't deserve all of this. I'm just doing my my thing. I'm doing my life. I'm living my life for him. So, So again, I'm not saying every time something good happens, be like, oh, why? But we have to shift our focus instead of, oh man, something bad is happening. This is awful. And we see through Mary, and we will continue to see through Mary, that she was focused on him as she's suffering. She was focused on John as she is suffering. She is focused on others. She continued to give her life to him even after this. Even after everything she went through, she gave his life to him. She's there after the ascension. She's there as the church starts. She's there doing things for him, even after feeling all of this. And we look at things sometimes as a test. But I think it's less a test and more of an opportunity. More of an opportunity to show others how to deal with suffering. More of an opportunity to show others how to deal with success. More of an opportunity to show others that our Savior gave us everything, and so we are going to give Him the same. To focus more on the unimaginable suffering around the world and less on the suffering that we face. Now let me say again, this does not mean that when you suffer, when you hurt, when you go through things, that you should just ignore it and move on. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to grieve. But not to let that become everything. Not to think, well, this just makes me everything that, like, nobody else goes through what I go through. To look at everyone and be like, okay, how can I get better? How can I help others get better? How can I help others see him? Just as Mary did. Uh, Last week I talked about John. I was in the traditional. And with John, I jumped forward into Revelation, which is my favorite book, as you know, to look at the future, to look at how he stood strong throughout time. And since you guys all listened to a second message, you know this. And to just look at how, and so for Mary, I want to kind of do the opposite. I want to go backwards. And so I want to go to Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 51. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Before we get into it, I asked you to put yourself in Mary's place to imagine the unimaginable suffering at the cross. Do that here also. Because she was told 12, 13 years ago, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world, to the Messiah, to to God. And now she's lost him. Now, 
Imagine that for a second. Imagine just the feeling, the, the depth of despair, the fear, not just for her own son, because she loved him. She was raising him. And she cared greatly about him and about his future, yes, but right then she just sees her kid, this 12-year-old kid. And so she feels that loss, just as any parent would, but also she's probably like, this is probably bad. Because he means a lot to the world, like, what am I going to do? What is going to happen? And so she, she had to have all of these thoughts about failing everyone. Now looking back, it's a little bit of foreshadowing because she had to lose him in a different way later. But that feeling, that, that, that despair. And before you question her, uh, this is the Passover. And so at the time, everyone had to go back, had to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate it. Anybody who it was at all possible for. So this place is packed. I, I'm, talking like, I'm talking like a Walmart on a Sunday afternoon packed. Like this is packed and people are everywhere and the checkout lines, there's like three of them open and they're lined out through the door and it's just crazy. And so it would have been really easy to lose track of a young boy. Um, I go pretty much every week to the children's museum with Beatrice, who is my aforementioned niece. And a couple weeks ago, we were there. Now, when I'm with her, I'm with her. Like as we walk through the museum before we go to the exhibit, we're holding hands. And then we, we go, except for when she has to push the elevator button, which she calls an alligator. Um, and so... We go into the exhibits and then she'll kind of play, but I'm like, like, if she's over here, I'm like right here. And lately she's wanted to play hide and seek a lot, and she doesn't know that I'm like cheating, not to win, but to watch her to make sure I see where she's hiding so I don't lose track of her, which is a common thing when you're with a kid, right? Well, a couple weeks ago we were in the Greece exhibit, and I'm watching her play, and I just kind of look down for a second to sit down, and when I look up, I don't see her. And I cannot tell you how immediately I started to panic. Like how, how horrible I felt. And, and, and I felt like, oh no. And it wasn't Amber's gonna kill me, although that eventually popped in my head. It was, where's Beatrice? Oh no, what's gonna happen? And I think of all these things because we all see the news, we all know the world, we all know everything that could happen. And all of that is going through my head. Well, I keep looking and it turns out she was still in the exact same place. She just put on a doctor coat and I didn't recognize it. But that moment, I felt such loss, such fear. And that's what Mary is feeling, multiplied by a lot. Because she didn't just lose her kid, she lost the Savior. And so she is freaking out, and she's going. And she had been told her calling, she had been called literally by God to do something special, to do something important, and she knew that she was chosen. She knew that she had a purpose and she knew that, that she was going to go through a lot, but that it was important and it was for other people. And probably she tried not to think too much about the future, knowing the sword piercing, knowing that he was going to sacrifice himself. Probably on most days she tried not to think about that. She pushed it out of her head. But this probably brought all of that back too. And she's like, man, I've lost him. I'm going to lose him and just going through this and feeling that suffering, feeling that pain. And I tell you this, and I don't have to tell you this. Loss is hard. Loss is hard. And especially when we lose someone we love in whatever way, whether they move or they walk away from us, they turn away from us or they pass away. It's so hard to deal with. And we never truly get past it in most ways.
I know that for me, I still think about my great-grandma sometimes. And I still will have nights where I want to call her. And so we feel that loss. And we remember that loss. But I have another quote also from C.S. Lewis. Why love if losing hurts so much? I have no answers anymore. Only the life I have lived. Twice in that life I've been given the choice. As a boy and as a man. The boy chose safety. The man chose suffering. The pain now is part of the happiness then. And that's the deal. To understand that you have to know C.S. Lewis a little bit. There's a movie on Apple TV uh, about his conversion. And just it's a really cool story. Obviously, I'm a fan of his. When he was a boy, he turned away from the faith because it was too hard. Because living that life was too hard. There was suffering. You had to be good. You had to try. You had to do all of these things. When he was a man, he turned back to his faith because it was hard. Because he realized that's all that was worth it. He'd gone through life. He'd lived through life. He'd tried to take the easy way. And he realized, oh... The easy way isn't fulfilling. You can't be complete. You can't have anything. And so he had felt loss. A lot of people feel loss and then give up. A lot of people feel hurt and then give up. A lot of people feel suffering and then give up. But we have to keep going. You see, Mary loved and lost. She felt every strike of that whip on Jesus. She felt the nails in his flesh. She felt the thorns on his skin. She felt the mocks. She felt the hatred. She felt everything that happened to him. And she could have said, I did my part. I'm not going to quit the faith, but I'm just going to go home and I'm going to be there because I cannot deal with any more loss. But what did she do? She went with the other disciples to start churches, to help people, to build his faith. And one by one, she lost them. And she kept going. She kept trying. And she shows us that she chose him over and over again, through suffering, through loss, through pain. We are going to lose things. We are going to lose love sometimes. And that stinks. It's hard. Sometimes it's going to be something expected. Like, some, like we, we just we see it coming. Like my great-grandma. She was unconscious that last weekend. She had Alzheimer's. She was 93. So it was hard. But I knew it was coming. And in a few ways, it, it was kind of a blessing because I knew she would no longer suffer. And she'd had a good long life. But sometimes it's going to be unexpected. Like Farley Dickinson. Took a second. Sometimes it's going to be through no fault of our own. And somebody is just going to turn away from us. Somebody is just going to be upset with us. Somebody is just going to to be angry over whatever. And we're going to feel loss. But suffering and loss, while unfortunate, are not the ending. Uh, to steal from myself from a few weeks ago. Success is on the same road as failure. Just a little further down. Joy is on the same road as suffering. Just a little further down. Victory is on the same road as loss. 
just a little further down. Going to the next verse. Three days after they finally, or three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Probably wasn't an accident, it was three days later. All who heard him were amazed at the understanding and his answers. Uh, His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all of these things in her heart. Obviously, they find him. And maybe even more obviously, he was teaching. He was in that time teaching. Because that's who he was. That's who he is. That's, that's what he did. One side note. It's really interesting to read that passage where the Pharisees and the religious experts are like, this guy is amazing. He's a 12-year-old and he knows as much as we do, more so, and and he's teaching so well, and and he has such an amazing grasp on the scripture. Cut to 21 years later, this guy thinks he knows everything, same people. It's insane the amount of hypocrisy we see there. And even in that moment, I think Jesus knew those people would eventually turn from him, but he kept going for them, for us. And so it's interesting to see. And it's impressive. It's impressive to see him talking about this. And I'm sure for them, even more impressive because they don't know who he is. It's kind of like a little kid walking up and talking about quantum physics. And so it's impressive and it's amazing. And his response is not dismissive. I think if one of our kids said, well, what were you looking for me for? We'd be like, "Ah, I'm going to go cut a switch and I'll tell you. (laughs) But he is just saying, this is who I am. I love you very much, but this is who I am. And we know in Jewish culture that, that around the age of 12, they would learn their father's business. And so he's doing that. And his parents, again, they knew who he was. And his answer shows that he knows they know who he is. But day to day, they probably weren't thinking about that. Like when they're feeding him, when they're helping him, when they're teaching him. They're probably not thinking about everything he's going to do. And again, this probably brought that to them, brought that back, especially to Mary. And Mary told these things to Luke, who wrote the book of Luke. And she told him when she didn't have to. Because I think most of us, if we were telling our life story, we would leave out the part where we lost the Savior of the world. (laughs) But she stored these things in her heart because they mattered to her, because they showed her who he is, because they showed her what was going to happen, because it was important. The fear, the loss, the love, the joy, the amazement, all of this was stored in her heart. And probably at the cross, while she's standing there watching Her son, the the person that she loves most in the entire world, as a son, as a savior. Watching him die, some of these things came back to her because she'd stored them. And she remembered that feeling of loss, but she remembered that pride, and she remembered that hope, and she remembered that love, and she remembered all of those times. And then three days later, when he rose again, she got to see him fulfill all of that. 
And she stayed a part of it. We sometimes forget her. We always think of her as the mother, obviously. And we always think of her at the cross, which we see. But she continued in the church. She was essentially a disciple. She knew who he was as much as anyone else in the history of time, probably even more so. And she served him. She loved him. She moved past the loss, past the hurt. And she felt the love. She held all of those things in her heart. I have one more quote. Often in life, we forget the things we should remember and remember the things we should forget. If I were to go person by person and ask you if you ever said to someone that hurt you, someone that cut you off, someone that insulted you in some way, oh, I'll remember that. I think most of you would say, yeah, now go away. Because we've all thought that, we've all said it, we've all felt it. And we sometimes remember that better than anything else. We remember when someone fails. I know that in my first church, my home church, uh, there was a girl who was a cheerleader and she'd had a difficult life, a lot of it by her own choice. She'd done a lot of things that she shouldn't have, but she was trying to get right with him. And she'd been saved, but everybody kept reminding her of all the things that she'd done because they remember that. Because people remember our failings. Because we remember other people's failings. And we sometimes forget what it feels like at the start. We forget what it feels like when we're called to ask for salvation. We forget what it feels like when we mess up. Mary held these things in her heart. And she teaches us to hold it all in her heart, in our hearts. Not just the good, not just the bad, but everything, including especially the lessons we learn, including especially the empathy that we feel, that we hope for. Because when we're going through something tough, when things just cannot go right, when we suffer, when we feel pain, when everything feels like it's falling apart, we want people to understand that. And then when everything's good for us, and maybe somebody else is going through that, sometimes we're not quite as understanding. We have to remember all of that. I've said before that the lockdown was one of the greatest things in my life, barring the illness, because I'm very introverted. And so like being forced to stay home, I miss church, but being forced to stay home was kind of like somebody coming up and the doctor coming up to you guys or me and saying, hey, you have to eat more cake. <laughs> and so I really learned a lot of things then. And my hope, and I've seen some of this, was that the people that were extroverted and were suffering then would remember what that felt like when things went back to normal. And I believe some have. And I've tried to remember that they also felt that kind of suffering that I sometimes feel. And it's important to do that. It's important to remember that we can move forward. But we have to be better. 
We have to show people why the church matters. We have to show people that we have a heart. We have to show people that we serve him and we want to be like him. Knowing Jesus and making Jesus known is not just a fancy slogan. It's what we have to do. Mary shows us exactly how to do that. And again, she's not perfect. But she had given everything to God. Because I can tell you this, giving birth outside of wedlock, at that time especially, she was not treated kindly. And she gave that. She gave her life. She gave her son. And she kept giving because she knew it was worth it, because she knew God had given her infinitely more. And it starts with learning. It starts with remembering. It starts with giving everything to Him. And then taking it out there. And showing people why we do this. Because we are called to be like Him. Not just to say it. To remember our suffering, to remember our failures, to remember our successes, and to share them. And we can do that. Because He gives us the ability and the love and the life. That's all I got.